0: Welcome. Here at Waterstone, we invite you to find your story within God's bigger story. We're a church that lives for something bigger than ourselves and is passionate to proclaim and demonstrate the way of Jesus. As we celebrate Holy Week, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter, we reflect upon the resurrection, upon the cross, and the sacrifice of Jesus. Through this, we are reminded that no matter what we face today, what we've been through, or what uncertainties tomorrow may hold, Christ has risen. He conquered death, and in his victory, we live free. We're glad you're here to celebrate with Waterstone. If you would like to visit and attend in person, join us for our weekend
1: services Saturday evening at 5 or Sunday morning, 9 and 1030. Finally, Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying His own cross, He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified Him, and with Him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The word of the Lord.
0: We believe that God has given Waterstone a mission to be a people empowered by the presence of Jesus Christ, to proclaim His kingdom and demonstrate His love, justice, and mercy to our neighbor. And sometimes that mission takes us out there to our communities, our schools, our neighborhoods, into the city, around the world, proclaiming Jesus, demonstrating His love. And sometimes that mission puts us right here in our seat to lament the tragic, evil things going on in our world. And so for the second week in a row, I stand before you calling for lament because of a mass shooting. This one in our backyard. I would like to share a lament that's written from the perspective of a survivor of a mass shooting. And we especially stand in solidarity and pray this morning with our essential workers at places like King Supers, Safeway, Walmart, our retail stores on the front lines this entire year. We also stand in solidarity with our blue community, who daily put their lives on the line to keep us safe. Let us pray together and lift our hearts to the Lord. A lament from every moment holy, not like this, O judge of all, not like this. This is not the way I would write the story's end for the one I love, cut down by an intentional act of unnecessary violence, so senseless, so brutal, so random and surreal. It is a crime, a loss, a shock, An evil, and a tragedy all in one for their life to be cut short like this, to have to grieve a death that didn't have to be the taking of this life in clear violation of Your commandment. My life will not continue as before. I cannot be so happy or carefree. This loss and the manner of this loss is like a caustic fog permeating everything. I cannot quiet these obsessive thoughts of my loved one's final moments. In my mind, the scene plays out again and again, either as it was or as it might have been. I surely cannot change what happened or make sense of it or find some lesson in it or force the wheels of justice to a satisfying end. And so, I am left feeling vulnerable and violated and helpless. Be my refuge and my shelter, O Lord. Be my shield and defender. Hold me in this hour. Hold me through this long, dark night. When death's shadow obstructs the light, cradle and carry me through this veil of sorrows. Deliver me to higher ground. I know, O God, that you would have me be completely honest with you in my words, voicing even these discouragements and volatile emotions and you are more than able to hear their weight, never wavering in your constant love and care for me. For you, O oh God, watched one you die, you love die violently, your only Son. You sympathize with me, so I will freely speak to you the depths of what I feel." Now convince me of your promise that my loss will be eternally restored, and so let me in time grow still more fearless in my love, O Christ. Holy Spirit, hover now over the chaos of this broken world, this broken Community, this broken situation, and my broken heart, and from them call forth new mercies and new hope because of Jesus. Amen. There is no easy segue from that except to say the gospel, Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ is coming again. It is good to see you, and it is good to see more and more of you our lead worshiper, Charlie Vestley's back. <laughs> I saw Carl and Barb Fox back this morning. The, pi- the pillars are coming back. Is there anyone else here for the first time since COVID? It's back today. OK. Oh, over here? Welcome. Did I miss? Who else? Oh, welcome, sorry, right in front of me. I never look in the front. (laughs) Good to see you. Welcome back. We hope to see more and more of you in these next weeks, maybe in Easter as well. Dying words gain attention. Benjamin Franklin, on his deathbed, Dying at the age of 84, his daughter told him to change position in bed so he could breathe more easily. And Franklin's last words were, A dying man can do nothing easy. Leonardo da Vinci said, I have offended God in mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Wow. T.S. <laughs> Eliot was only able to whisper one word as he died Valerie the name of his wife. Physicist and author Richard Feynman died in Los Angeles, 1988, his last words, this dying is boring. Buddy Rich died after surgery in 87. He was being prepared, as he was being prepped for surgery, a nurse asked him, is there anything you can't take? And Rich replied, yeah, country music. (laughs) Can I get an amen in the house on that? Or I'm going to get emails now. Here we go. The great Harriet Tubman, 1913 family gathered around her last words were swing low, sweet chariot. Richard Mellon, multimillionaire, president of Alcoa, he and his brother Andrew Mellon had a game of tag going for about seven decades. When Richard was on his deathbed, he called his brother over and whispered, last tag. George Orwell's last written words were, at 50, everyone has the face he deserves. (laughs) And he died at 46, so. (laughs) Truman Capote, the writer, lay dying. He repeated, mama, mama, mama. Jesus' last word is famous in Scripture and most mystifying. His last words before He took His last breath on the cross, it is finished. We preach this word. We, we sing this word. It's one word in the Greek language. It's arguably the most tattooed Greek word in the Christian church. To It's finished. If someone were to ask us about the tattoo, what did Jesus mean when he said it's finished? We might have to think for a moment. It is finished. What's the it? But it's an important question because if Jesus is one of the most significant figures of history, then his dying word should gain our attention. What did Jesus mean when he said it is finished? What's finished? John helps us he in uh, three verses frames the last scenario and scene of jesus on the cross and i i've used a more literal uh translation uh the english standard version and i'm going to read it with some emphasis you'll get to hear exactly how john helps us understand what jesus meant when he said it's finished because he uses a derivative of the word full or fulfilled five times in three verses. So listen for it as we read through. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now fulfilled, said, to fulfill Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, and so they put a sponge full of sour wine on the hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is fulfilled. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What Jesus is crying out with his last word is not only that it's concluded, but that it's culminated. Not only that it's finished, but it's fulfilled. And so this morning, in the time we have together in God's Word, we want to ask what's fulfilled in the life and death of Jesus Christ? First thing that's fulfilled is His life. Notice here it says, After this, Jesus knowing that all was now fulfilled. After what? Well, we go back to the previous verses in 26 and 27 after this, everything's fulfilled. Jesus saw his mother there, the disciple whom he loved standing there. That's John, the author of this epistle, and said to her, woman, your son, and to John, your mother. From that time on, this disciple took Mary into his home. Mary, probably a widow in her early 50s, there's no other brothers and sisters. None of her other children are with Mary, and we think because none of them have come to receive Jesus yet. In fact, we know James, Jesus' half-brother, if you will, who would become the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, but he did not believe in Jesus until Jesus made a personal appearance to him after the resurrection. So no other children, and Jesus being asphyxiated on the cross, that's how you died in crucifixion, because you had to pull yourself up to breathe to get air into your lungs. He gives this adoption formula, actually discovered in other surrounding ancient literature, an adoption formula, woman, your son, your mother to John. Now. We have to ask why John thinks this is such a uh, 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 convincing, uh, significant moment. It's, It's in the language that John uses to describe what Jesus says. Woman, your son. The last time we heard Jesus address his mother that way was back at the beginning of John's gospel. Do you remember the miracle, the first public act that Jesus did in the gospel of John? They were at a wedding, they ran out of wine, and Jesus turned the water into wine. You remember that Mary, you know, came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, you have to do this or the wedding's gonna crash and burn. And who can say no to their mom? Not even Jesus. But you remember what Jesus said to his mom. Woman, my hour has not yet come. So what we see here is Jesus' mother bracketing and bookending His ministry, public ministry at the beginning, at the end. But it's not only His ministry that His mom is bookending, it's His entire life. Luke tells us that when Jesus was eight days old, His parents carried Him into the temple, and they dedicated Him to the Lord. And you remember that a crazy old man named Simeon, prophet, came up, running to Mary. Now our sure security team would have never let this happen. But he got to the parents, and he said to Mary, "A sword will pierce your own soul too." And I wonder if Mary was remembering those words as she stood at the end of her son's life, thinking. It's over. Now, as you know, as we read in the scripture earlier, so many of these things that Jesus does and says and that happen, they seem to be random, but they are not random. They were predicted they were foreseen a thousand years earlier. For instance, when Jesus on the cross earlier cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is not just crying out for his pain. Oh, he is. But he is singing a song that was written a thousand years prior by David, Psalm 22. It's the first line of the song. And the the reason that his soldiers did not rip his undergarments, but they gambled for him, in the song, the reason why people are hurling insults and abuse at Jesus in the song a thousand years prior, the reason that they broke his body but not a bone was broken in the song a thousand years ago. And so we're not surprised to see Mary here because in the song it says, you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. A writer of our day, Russell Moore, he reflects on this beautifully. Even as Jesus' disciples fled from him in shame, he could cite Psalm 22 while looking out from the cross at his mother. He could see in her an important part of his own personal story, a story that testified to the faithfulness and loving kindness of God. In the moment of his greatest desolation, Jesus could see the invisible outline of God's mercy and presence there in the one from whom in his human nature, Mary, he learned to trust a fathering, nurturing God. The horror of the scene was not the whole story. The judgment of the Roman Empire was not the final word. He knew that since he was cradled in the arms of his mother. January 2019, the Atlantic Monthly carried a feature article on people's dying words. And they quoted from a book written by a hospice nurse in Germany. And this nurse reported that the most common thing that she has heard in her long career of people crying out at death was mama or mommy. And perhaps the reason why Jesus' final act that completed and fulfilled his life is to take care of his mother and perhaps the reason that so many cry out to their mom with their last breath is because at death we are as helpless before death as we are helpless the moment we enter into this world and we need to be carried And the question at death is, who will carry you? Jesus, because He went to His death, because His life fulfilled all righteousness, even to the caring of His own mother, so righteous that death could not hold Him, and He walked out of His grave, under his own power, so that John could completely see the fulfillment of these words. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I have gone there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back, so that you may be where I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus led the way when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And since he rose from the dead, and since his life was perfect righteousness, even to the caring of his mother, death could not hold him. So he is now free to come and carry you at the moment of your most helplessness, at your death. I'm asking you this morning, have you received Jesus into your life, the way to the Father? He will carry you at your most helpless moment. He will carry you home. You can receive Him and receive that assurance even now in this moment, even at home watching online just by, seeing, by saying, Jesus, carry me. Carry me. The first reason Jesus cried out to Telestai is to say, because my life is fulfilled and every righteous act, including caring for my own mother, I can now come back and carry you at your most helpless moment. The second reason Jesus cried out to Telestai is to show us that his love is fulfilled. The story is fulfilled. If you go back to verse 28, we see all these, again, these uh, predisposition things happening, the, these predestined things happening. Though that uh, let, Knowing that everything has now been finished, that's with his mother, so that Scripture would now be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And there is a cheap bottle of wine there that the Roman soldiers would drink, that's this wine. And Jesus is lifted in a From a full jar and a full sponge, he's lifted up on, and this is significant, a hyssop branch. So we see again all these things that even I thirst is quoted in Psalm 69 and Psalm 22. A thousand years ago, this was scripted. But even the hyssop branch goes back 3,000 years because the last time that we read about a hyssop branch was in the Passover When God was freeing Israel out of Egypt and they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, do you remember how they were instructed to put that blood over the door frames with the hyssop branch? And John is capturing this entire transport back 3,000 years to that moment by saying, this is the lamb. This is Lamb the blood that will cover us from sin and death. The point is this. Jesus fulfills the whole story of the First Testament. All of the symbols, all of the types, all of the priestly actions in the temple, all of the prophets, it's all fulfilled in this moment and in Jesus. Everything comes to culmination. The whole story is Jesus, and Jesus in His death on the cross, dying in our place for our sins. That's the story. And what's the point of the story? John would later write in a letter to one of his churches that he pastored, this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and gave His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is the whole story. It's finished. And what's the point of that story? Love. He was pierced. For our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace was placed on Him, and He was wounded for our sins. That's Isaiah 700 years before Jesus died. John Dixon is an Australian Christian minister and writer. And he was speaking on the college campus, a college campus in Sydney, Australia. And after, he was speaking on the crucifixion and God's love and humility that is on display in Christ's crucifixion. And afterwards, he had a question and answer time and a Muslim man stood up and asked John this question, how can you believe in this? It's so preposterous that the God who made everything, the cause of all causes, would become subject to His own creation and He would have to eat and and sleep and and even more die at the hands on a cross of the people that he, He made. How can you believe this? And Dixon was, first of all, impressed by the intelligence of the man and impressed by his civility and his kindness in the way he answered the question. It wasn't, wasn't hostile, it was yearning. And Dixon was going through his mind to, uh, trying to find an answer that would, you know, be a knockdown, dragout drag-out answer or, or something witty, and he, he, he couldn't say anything except to thank the man for showing the uniqueness of the Christian God and Dixon ended with these words. The Muslim denounces the crucifixion of Christ, but to the Christian, it is most precious. God has wounds. God has wounds. I have seen your wounds, O Jesus of the scars. The, the other gods were strong, but you were weak. The others rode, but you did stumble to your throne. To be to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak, but no other God has wounds but you. Edward Shalito. You see, Jesus cries out, it is finished because His life is complete, which means He can carry us at our death. But He also cries out, it's culminated because He has fulfilled the story, the whole story. And what's the point of the story? His wounds tell of His love for us. And lastly, it is finished means that God's judgment is finished. Again, back in verses 29 and 30, Jesus is going to say, I thirst. And he proceeds to drink the cheap soldier's wine. And you have to ask, what does drinking wine in this moment have to do with anything about Jesus finishing something on the cross? Well, that story started about 24 hours prior. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and He was praying so anxiously and fervently that sweat of blood was coming out of the pores of His skin, He was wrestling with this and He was trying to keep Peter, James, and John awake to keep praying for Him. They did sleep, but they must have heard Him say this, Father, if it would be possible, let this what, cup pass from Me. And as he's praying, he soon hears this commotion, and it's Judas, the betrayer, coming with a, a group of Roman soldiers, and they're going to arrest Jesus. And you remember, one of the gospel tells us that Peter summoned his courage and chopped off one of the uh, priest servant's ears, and Jesus heals that servant and then says, No, I must drink the cup my Father has given me. You see what's happening here is that Jesus is going to drink the cup of judgment to the dregs in His beating and betrayal and torture and taunting, in the unjust trial, in in the nailing to the cross, in the hanging up naked as a spectacle for the world to see. Jesus is saying, it's finished. I am drinking the cup. I am drinking the cup of every human sin, including yours and mine, every sin and thought, word, and deed. I'm drinking it. I'm drinking the cup of every evil moment, every evil. I'm drinking it. I'm drinking the cup of every part of brokenness in this fallen world. I'm drinking it. And because I'm drinking it, because I'm taking God's judgment, the Father can now forgive and still be God and justice served because Jesus took the judgment. And that means that you and I, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Father is satisfied. You see, Jesus, who's the audience? He's crying out to the angels, to Telestai. They've been waiting to watch this from time past. He's crying out to the Old Testament saints, God will provide a lamb. He's crying out to the world, there is a way. He's crying out to hell, you will not win. He's crying out to his Father, justice is served. Now forgive. The Father's satisfied. But are you? I don't know. Sometimes it seems our hearts are wrapped in layers of resistance to the grace of God. And even though the Father's satisfied, we're still dragging around our sins and our guilt and our shame. You ever lost your cell phone in theory? I was at radiation last week. And, uh, you know, before you go into the rad room, you got to like strip and you put all your valuables in a certain place. And I'm about halfway through with my radiation treatments, and I've gotten to know the nurses. So it's it's a party in the rad room a lot of these days. And sometimes if you know me, I get talking and I kind of forget what I'm doing. And so uh, I finished the treatment got dressed back out, was about to leave the hospital parking lot over at Sky Ridge and uh, was going to plug my phone in to listen to a sermon on the drive back. And I put my hand on my pocket where my phone always is and no phone. So I circle back into the parking lot and I get out of the car and look all through it and I retrace my steps and I walk in and Renee the, the temp checker is there and says, Renee, I think I might have left my phone in the rad room. And she says, no, I I know where your phone is. It's right there in your shirt pocket. (laughs) Now you laugh, but I know you've done it too. But right there is a little parody of life, right? Sometimes we forget what we have in Christ. We forget that we have righteousness standing before God. We forget that we have freedom. We forget that we have approval. We forget that we have significance. We forget that we have love. We forget that we have freedom. And we go and look everywhere else for what we really need. We look at a thousand things that are infinitely smaller than Jesus. And we forget that in our hearts... He lives. He's there. He welcomes us in embrace. The only way that Jesus could not embrace us now is if He were to be pulled back out of heaven and put in the grave. And that ain't going to happen. So I declare to you on the authority of Jesus' dying word, it's finished you are forgiven. You are free. You are loved. And you are homebound. That's quite a dying word.